I'm Mandy Faber, and this is Dedicated to the Dead, the show where you get to hear the life story of someone who has died as told by the people who love them and mourn for them. For today's episode, I have to start with a disclaimer. You're going to hear some buzzing and humming, especially at the beginning of this episode. As you know, I produce and record this show all by myself, and unfortunately, I am not a sound engineer. I can normally minimize the buzzing when I'm recording an episode, but this time I was on location and recording at my guest's home. So please cut me a little slack and hang in there for the first few minutes. The buzzing decreases with time. And let me tell you, it was a lot worse before it was edited. So thanks for your patience. My guest today is Kim Malbrew, who is dedicating this episode to her husband, Mark. And normally, I tell you how I know my guests during this introduction, but I thought I'd let you hear Kim and me talk about why we know each other. August 21st, 2015, right? Yep. Yeah. So our husbands died on the same day, Mm -hmm. and I guess my niece Renee, who used to work with you, I guess she told me that she had a friend at work whose husband died the same day, but I didn't remember it um, at all, at all. And then I think when I saw on the One Fit Widow Adventure Weekend page that you were coming and they always ask us to introduce ourselves. And you, and you said that your husband died on August 21st, yes. 2015, and that you lived in the Chicago area. Right. Yeah. And I don't. And then I think we somehow maybe I clicked on you and saw yeah. that you were friends with Renee, and then we that started right putting the pieces together. Yeah. So uh, we have the pleasure of knowing each other because our husbands died on the same day. Mm-hmm. And we were at that adventure weekend on the first anniversary of that's Bob and right Mark's death too. in Lake Tahoe. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So Kim and I only know one another because our husbands, Mark and Bob, died on the very same day in the Chicago area. And as you heard, we really didn't connect until close to the one-year anniversary of their deaths through a Facebook community called One Fit Widow, which is a really great community I mentioned in my second episode. You don't have to be a widow to benefit from that community, which was founded by a woman named Michelle Steinke Baumgart. And she happens to be a person I love very much. Um, But you will get a ton of support and inspiration regardless of the type of loss you've experienced. And as we mentioned, they host trips called Adventure Weekends, where anywhere from 50 to 150 members travel together to some amazing places to do amazing things, mostly in nature, including meeting and supporting one another in person. Go to Facebook and Instagram and search One Fit Widow. That's the number one spelled out and fit as in fitness. You will not regret it. So let's get back to Kim telling the life story of her husband, Mark, who was born on October 6, 1981. His name was Mark Garrison Malbrew. Mall like shopping, brew like beer. So Mark grew up in Arkansas, and um, his his dad is from New Orleans. His mom is from Arkansas. They met in Arkansas, and uh, he grew up in North Little Rock. Okay. He has one younger brother named Paul who lives in Little Rock, close to his parents. Mark and his brother initially attended public elementary school, 
But then Mark's parents told their son he was going to go to Catholic high school, which he wasn't happy about at all at the time. But later, he said, that move was good for him. His dad even got Mark some lockers from his old high school that Kim still has in her home. And the decision on the final placement of those lockers was one of the very last conversations Kim and Mark would have before she took him to the hospital for the last time. So how did Mark end up in Chicago from Little Rock? I always thought it was a little weird that uh, Mark went to Lake Forest College in Illinois because, you know, a kid coming from Arkansas, how many how many just decide to go to Lake Forest? I also thought it was pretty ballsy of him. Yeah. But Mark told me that a recruiter came to his high school, Catholic high school for boys, and uh, just a said, Lake Forest college? A Lake Forest recruiter. Wow. And, yeah, so after knowing Mark, I realized a lot of his friends from college are from Cleveland. They're from Boston. They're from all over. So Lake Forest does a really good job recruiting outside of the state. He decided to move to Lake Forest. And also Mark was the type of person that never met a stranger. So that type of move for him was just something that was natural. Mm -hmm. And he had no qualms or no worries about meeting friends. And he instantly did. He joined a fraternity. Um, he played a lot of beard eye (laughs) and I, I'm not sure this is true, but I imagine him spending a lot of time, uh, playing video games in his room and reading Harry Potter. Did he play any sports that you know of as a as a child or a young man? Yeah, so he played baseball, um, basketball, football a little bit. Um, I, I think that he he did he dabbled in those in high school, but ultimately didn't wasn't do, didn't do it all four years. Okay. Um, but uh, when we were dating, he was uh, he played basketball with his friends quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, very much into baseball. We also have. You and I have the Cubs in common, for yes, sure. Yes, we do. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Both we and our husbands, big, big yes. Cubs fans. Huge fans. Yeah. Yeah. So after college, he and I both graduated college in 2004. Um, he went away to um, Milwaukee for one year to study sports law and ultimately decided that that really wasn't the place that he wanted to be. And all of his friends were still in Chicago, kind of had decided to stay there after college or had a lot of college friends that were still in Lake Forest. So he ended up moving with two friends uh, in Chicago and he started just temp work really um, because he wasn't sure if law school is what he wanted to do. He was doing recruiting. So Mark returned to life in Chicago with his friends to ponder his future legal career. But how did Kim and Mark meet? Well, in 2006, Kim and her girlfriend were looking for places to celebrate their birthdays. I had met these two guys while while my roommate and I were on our bicycles looking for a place to have our birthday party. And these two guys rode by on their bicycles. And ultimately, we ended up just becoming instant friends with them, uh, hanging out with them daily. And they went to college with Mark. And uh, we decided to do a 30-wing challenge. So eat 30 wings, hot wings. Each of you? Yes. (laughs) In one hour. And I did not participate in this because that sounds disgusting. However, I was going for support, but we, we told all of our friends to come. But so Mark was there and, uh, that, that was the first time we met. I met Mark at this wing challenge. What was funny to me about Mark was that 
this was a 30 wing challenge and he was not participating in the challenge, but still ate 30 wings. It was like, he's like, nah, I'm not going to join. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, I'm not going to join your stupid wing challenge, but I'm going to do it. Like, I don't want any part of the competition, but I'm going to meet the challenge. Oh, my god! <laughs> it was very much like him. He didn't want to, like, conform to what people thought he should do or, you know, just but like, but he would do it anyways. <laughs> I don't know. He said that he came to that wing challenge because he kept hearing about this girl, Kimmy, that um, he's like, why is everyone talking about this girl all the time? I got to meet her. Um, so we met. I, it wasn't really anything to write home about, really. Uh, not love at first sight. No, what maybe. Well, not for me, at least. He had two roommates that I was friends with. So I ended up uh, going to his house quite a bit just to, like, you know, pick up things or whatever, see those guys. And while instantly we weren't uh, friends right away, but he had a munchkin cat, Jazzy, who was in the other room meowing at us right now. And she was super fat and had the shortest little legs. And I fell in love with her. She's still pretty chunky. Oh, she's very (laughs) chunky. She's, she's really hanging on there. Uh, she's, She's, so she's old. Yeah. She turns 15 on Saturday. Wow. Yes. Mm hmm. So sad update on Jazzy the cat. Unfortunately, in early February this year, she joined Mark when she passed away. I really got drawn in by Jazzy. Mark was pretty interesting, too. He was always watching The Office. We just became friends, really. I do remember that he tried playing footsie with me while we were watching The Office. And that I, I just remember thinking like this is so weird that he's like trying to rub his foot up against my foot they have no clue how to flirt (laughs) guys have no clue how to flirt they really don't no yeah but we just started hanging out a ton and uh started going on dates then when mark and i first started dating when he started courting me i think one of the things i wanted to bring up was how much or what really wooed me over outside of jazzy was honestly, how much he adored me. He was just so sweet and he wanted, he just wanted to make me happy. Okay. For all you single women out there, I highly recommend going for the guy who is sweet and wants to make you happy and who will in turn let you make him happy too. That was a recipe for success for both Kim and me in our marriages. So, Kim and Mark are living and working in the city in the mid-2000s. Let's hear more about their courtship. I was on the north side of the river, and he was in the loop. Mm -hmm. And we would meet uh, halfway, so that was on the river walk. And each time we did that during lunch, and there was a farmer's market, he would bring me flowers. Like, to the point where I would go back to work, and my coworkers would be like, seriously, you got flowers again? It was, like, embarrassing. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's so sweet. Really sweet. Really sweet. I mean, he did not continue that throughout our whole relationship. But at the beginning, that's how he won me over, really. But he also, he would do sweet things like leave post-it notes in the morning or um, post-it notes when I got home, just like saying all the things he loved about me. And um, he would get me a card for every little thing, like when he left for Thanksgiving or came back from a trip, just to say that he missed me. And then Kim and Mark took a big step in their relationship. 
we dated for about four years before we lived together. So after we started dating, I think for about a a year, Mark was unemployed. That was really hard for me because I had to go to work every day. And he took time off between he got laid off and then was like, well, I think I'm going to go back to law school. So there's no no point in getting a job before I go back to law school. Mm -hmm. So in my head, I think I was just really jealous because I wanted to be at home. (laughs) I wanted to take time off before I figured out what I wanted to do with my life, you know? Then he started going back to law school. So we had been dating about two years at that time. He was in law school for, I guess, two years. And then um, where did he go to law school? He went to law school at John Marshall Law. Mm -hmm. And I was working at, well, same place I'm working now. We would also meet up for lunch there because they were super close. They were down the street from each other. Nice. Yes, it was. It was nice, especially since we weren't living together at that time. So it was kind of our time to have a, you know, day date. One one great memory I have about uh, Mark was good or big on April Fool's. Mm -hmm. And um, I I got him good one time. It was two weeks after I started. I called him. He was unemployed at this time. And I called him and said, hey, Mark, they just they just fired me. They said it wasn't working out. And he just he was like, what? It's Kim. Are you okay? I just, I was trying to fake cry and all that. And then I was like, April fool's motherfucker. I was, I was so proud of myself. Uh, this is the best memory. That's hilarious. Was he pissed or was he laughing? I mean, he, he laughed. I do remember, um, one April fool's he fake proposed to me, which was, Oh, he God. also did that on my birthday one time. I mean, what a dick. Oh my gosh. Holy cow. Yeah. Funny, funny, but also. uh, (laughs) It's a good thing he had like points banked up from all those flowers that he bought you. (laughs) Yeah. Good point. Yeah. (laughs) Being very sweet, but also a little cutting at times. Yeah. Yeah. So you get the gist of what the relationship was like at times, which is like a lot of relationships. In between the sweetness and romance, you give each other crap and tease each other. It's all in good fun. Kim and Mark continued to enjoy their city lunches together. During one of those lunches, Mark and Kim listened to a voicemail he got. One of the times, though, that we did meet for lunch when he was in law school, he came and we listened to the message where they told him that he did have melanoma and he was going to have to have surgery. So I remember being outside of my old work building and meeting with him and just like standing there crying together. And what year was that? That was in 2010. I'm guessing you figured out how Mark's life ends. Melanoma. Skin cancer. I hate cancer. But then again, who doesn't? So what now with their relationship? We were dating. We still weren't living together. Um, It was kind of the turning point in our relationship, though, for knowing that we either needed to make it or break it. You know, Mm -hmm. we needed to dive right in. And I, I, I also was pretty angry at that time. Um, we hadn't, we weren't living together and I wasn't sure where it was going, but I still, you know, he was extremely important to me. I was attending all of his doctor's appointments with him. Um, we ended up moving in together and, it was hard at first because he had gone through a surgery and he was going to immunotherapy three times a week and sick three, you know, sick those days. Yeah. Um, 
he was also in law school. So it, it was, we were kind of on different paths. I was traveling a lot for work. Um, he was home sick a lot. Uh, I was pretty angry. He was pretty scared. Um, but as the year went on and, you know, the immunotherapy, uh, was hopefully working. Um, we managed to, I don't know, come to this place where we were good again. Um, we actually went to couples counseling and oh, before yeah, you were married before, before we you were, were engaged before we were engaged. Wow. Um, cause we were living together and I think I, I was in my own therapy because I was scared about my boyfriend having cancer and yeah. not knowing what that meant for my future. Sure. And, what to do about it. Um, and so my therapist thought, you know, well, maybe if he is open to it, like you could do therapy. And so I mentioned it to Mark and, um, I mean, Mark wasn't thrilled about it, but he went and we met with him once together. And then we each met with him individually. And then when we came back to meet with him again, together, together, he didn't remember our names. Oh my God. And so we both left and we're like, what the hell was that? That guy sucks. Yeah. And it, it was kind of the turning point when we were like, oh, okay. We, we both have this in common. We both don't like that guy. Yeah. And like, we could, we like started laughing again after that. And it really was something, it, it, it's like the weirdest thing that came out of us going to couples counseling that did not work at all, um, was <laughs> us being able to laugh about how that guy was really bad at his job <laughs> and we should not go to couples counseling anymore. <laughs> I mean, he was still doing treatments after that, but we, it was like a turning point for us and we started communicating better and, um, doing things that made us happy. And I, you know, I think a lot of it too was he was so sick that, and we were still just dating. So we yeah. couldn't do the things that we like to do yeah. such as Cubs games and concerts and, uh, street fests and, mm -hmm. you know, just the types of, you know, movies, dinners that you can take advantage of living yes. in the city. Yes. Yeah. Kim and Mark did the things they could while he was recovering from surgery and feeling the effects of his treatments. And then one day he proposed. The day he proposed, I was uh, working from home that day and I was sitting on the edge of our bed wearing a sweatband watching The Biggest Loser. <laughs> Because I was the biggest loser. You felt like the biggest loser. You weren't the biggest I weren't. Loser. I, I wasn't. I'm sure of that. But I felt like the biggest loser. I remember watching it because I was like, I'm going to will myself to work out right now. I, I don't think I started working out. But he. <laughs> you wore the sweatband. I was wearing a sweatband. I don't know why I was wearing a sweatband. But um, so he walked in the door and he put his iPod on like the dock and started playing music and he had flowers. and so. I, you know, I was like, oh my God, what am I wearing? Cause I was wearing, you know, workout clothes and a sweatband and feeling crappy about yourself. Right. Right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he just, I mean, of course I don't remember what song he played or what he said, but, um, yeah, he got down on one knee and said some really nice things and proposed. And I said, yes. And I was honestly shocked because, um, like Mark had a ton of dreams, but his implementation at times was <laughs> it took a long time for him to, yeah. you know, execute on his yeah. what he wanted to do. But he did tell me before we got engaged how he had this plan, like he knew how he was going to propose to me. And like he knew, you know, it, it, he just always talked about it like it was going to be this like grandiose thing. Mm -hmm. So after he proposed, 
maybe not that night, but a couple of weeks later, I'm like, oh, was that your plan? Like our living room? <laughs> like when I'm wearing workout clothes, that, okay, that was it. All right, great. <laughs> but honestly, it was, um, it was the best because I, I was shocked. I was surprised, you know, yeah. I wanted to be that. And, um, I mean, it, it worked. We went and had drinks with our friends afterwards. So, oh. yeah. Do you remember feeling nervous and afraid about how long you'd have together or not knowing how long you'd have together at that point? Or were you just all caught up in the romance of it? Yeah, I think um, when we were dating and kind of in that limbo period where we didn't know if our relationship was going to work out, I was very much worried about the what if. Um, but after I think I just had to let go. And at the point where we got engaged, it it was no longer about what if he dies? It was just um, like, I love this guy. Yeah. 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 You said there were going to be tears and I didn't believe you. <laughs> uh. Mark passed the bar exam on his very first try, even though Kim says she saw Mark play way more video games than she saw him study. About six months before they got married, Mark got a job at Gerard Law Group in Chicago's Ravenswood neighborhood. So yay, he was employed for their big day. Okay, so tell us about your wedding. Okay, um, so we planned our wedding, meaning me and my parents, um, <laughs> uh, for about 10 months after we got engaged. he's in law school and he's battling cancer. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, and so actually, the past. yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, so at the time that we, um, that he proposed, I think about a two months later, he got the clear that everything was good. Oh, okay. So meaning everything was good at the time with melanoma, it's a little different because, um, you can, your system can be clear of it and it can come back at any moment. But also Mark was the type of guy that didn't want, he, he didn't want to know what the future looked like. You know, he, when we met with his oncologist, it was never like, so how many years do you think I have? Or do you think like, what are the chances this will come back? He didn't ask those questions. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned over the years is that if the patient doesn't ask those questions then they're not going to give that information because they want to take the lead of the patient, which I find so fascinating because I wasn't the patient, but I wanted to know those answers. Um, but you know, it Mark trumped me. So yeah. that's how it was. So were you mad about that, that he didn't ask those questions? Uh, no, uh, not really. I, I think that I did enough of my own research, you know, I guess for good or for bad, but, um, to kind of have ideas in my head about things, but it was a little weird that we didn't really talk about those things. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I would say things like, you know, it's possible that this could come back. Um, but it's, it wasn't something that we really dove into too much mm -hmm. just, um, because Mark was just like, well, uh, then I'll deal with it and I'll fight it and I'll get over it and I'll Very beat it in the moment. Yes. Mm -hmm. And something that I definitely struggle with. I'm not sure if you do, but yeah, like, I, I, I think about what ifs all the time and I have to curb that. I was actually just in a grief group the other day talking about, what if I died? The guy was like, well, when the moment you start saying, what if like check yourself mm -hmm. and remind yourself that that's, you know, we, we could do that all day if we wanted. all day. Yeah. So at the time when we were planning our wedding, he 
was he was in the clear with cancer. And the reason why we were I was really planning with my parents was because we were going to have it at their house. And um, they live on 40 acres, a lot of woods, farmland, um, beautiful house. And I think she just pictured us like 10 people with a keg and some red <laughs> solo cups. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm thinking something classier than that, mom. It was 260 people. We had hay bales. We had a huge white tent, um, lawn games. It was September 15th. 2012 was the prettiest day. It was like 70, maybe 73 degrees. Sun was shining. I mean, it just, we couldn't have been luckier with the weather. It was a new moon that night. So there was, it was complete darkness. So we had to, we passed out flashlights as our favor so people could find their cars at the end of the (laughs) night. Um, that's very clever. Yeah, it was it was a beautiful day, and it definitely is. I look back at it as my favorite day in the world. Uh, we had a wonderful time, and um, we ended up going to Japan for our honeymoon. We both. I saw that on Facebook. I said, "Wow, <laughs> well, whose idea was that?" Well, Mark had never gone outside of the country, and I had been to Europe a couple times, so. We just thought, well, let's go bigger, go home. I think it was also in the back of our heads, too. Like, we got to do it now. Like, if we're going to have kids soon or if something crazy happens, Mm -hmm. then let's just live in the moment, really. So we we did Japan and uh, we went to Tokyo, Kyoto, Osaka, Hiroshima, and ended again in Tokyo. It was a very crazy trip. We I mean, we did. We did everything. Kim and Mark had a great time in Japan on their honeymoon, trying new foods, most of which Mark couldn't stomach, and unbeknownst to them, singing karaoke with a famous Australian athlete who paid their tab, which ended up being over $400. Kim even broke her arm while they were riding bikes in Kyoto. Then, when they got home, they moved on to the one thing newlyweds are most frequently asked about after they get married. When we got back from our honeymoon in November, we talked about, well, maybe we should think about this kid thing. Um, we had talked to several people who had a long, a tough time getting pregnant or it took a long time to get pregnant. And I just, I told Mark, well, it's going to take a couple of years. So I should just get off birth control. And I, so I stopped taking it. And then a month later, I got pregnant. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so, how old were you guys at this time? Um, God. Oh, 30. Yeah. Both of you. We were both 30. Maybe okay. he was 31. Okay. But, um, so it was a new year's Eve. I know when it happened, <laughs> um, I, I remember telling Mark, I'm definitely not ovulating, even though I didn't even really know what ovulating meant or <laughs> if I was ovulating. And, uh, he also, he told people that if Kim would have had one more drink, we, we wouldn't have gotten pregnant. <laughs> just at that, the Goldilocks zone, I guess. Um, definitely unexpected when I took, I took a pregnancy test. I think we had gotten in a fight about toothpaste right before I took the pregnancy test. And I thought, 
I'm feeling weird and I've been sick for like a week. I don't know really what's happening to my body. So I went across the street, got a pregnancy test, one pregnancy test, took it and then went and told him, Mark, I think I'm pregnant. And you said, you think you're pregnant? Why do you think you're pregnant? I'm like, cause I just took a pregnancy test and it says I'm pregnant. <laughs> And so he said, how many did you buy? And I said, one. And he's like, why would you just buy one? (laughs) So I went back across the street and told the guy that I didn't get the result I wanted and I needed another one. So after I took about six pregnancy tests, I think Mark went and got more after I took two more. Um, we, we ultimately realized I was actually pregnant and all six were positive. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, uh, I said, I think I said that I was too young to have a baby being 30. (laughs) Um, but, uh, we were, we were like the, you know, kind of the first of our friends. I think we had one other couple friend that were older than us that had uh, a kid. Mm -hmm. So it was just definitely something that I wasn't ready for by any means. Wow. Yeah, it was a shock to the system. Once you guys finally accepted the fact that you were pregnant after the sixth pregnancy test, (laughs) were you guys freaked out? It was like we changed sides. Like I was just this homebody then that wanted to stay home and just watch TV and cook and all this stuff. And then Mark started going out. And I'm like, wait, this isn't how it works. Like you're usually the one that stays home and like is there with a glass of water when I come in at midnight. <laughs> we we kind of changed roles and it, it was interesting to see him like become this a little bit wild child before I had Jude. Uh, but we were excited. We all of our friends, you know, because we were one of the first to have kids, all of our friends were just you know, so over the moon for us having a baby. Like it was really exciting. What did the group of friends know about his melanoma? Everybody knew most everything about him and would ask him a lot of questions. Like, but for Mark, on Mark's side, like he didn't give a lot of details. It was just, yeah, I'm good. You know, I'm over that. I beat that. Whereas I would say, I don't know, we have to go back in for testing Um, Mark and I did this research study for melanoma where it was like a monitoring system where, um, you had to have a partner or someone, um, track your moles each month and make sure that you like write down every mole and what it looks like. If it's changed color, if it's changed shape and like I had a magnifying glass. And so I had to document all of his moles and we would go in, I think every three months and kind of share the feedback on like what his moles did, you know, we were definitely still actively looking at any changes in his body. But when I got pregnant and we were excited for the baby, like I, I don't think I was thinking at all about him being sick. I mean, maybe in the back of my head, I thought, well, I really hope this, you know, this is over and that nothing comes back, but it just wasn't something that entered my mind that I should be worried about. So they chose to focus more on their impending bundle of joy instead of focusing on Mark's melanoma. And as is the case with many couples, their world changed with the arrival of their son, Jude. When we had Jude, I mean, Mark was instantly in love with Jude and I was not. (laughs) I more so was just like, God, this responsibility that I have. I was terrified. Yeah. Yeah. Like, And Mark just didn't 
to have that. I, and maybe it was that whole like live in the moment, like mm-hmm. this is my son and I am so happy to have him in my life and this is what I've wanted. You know, I, he was just thrilled to have a son and, um, he was just like the light of his life. Mark, Mark took to it a lot more naturally than I did. I was stressed about everything. I was stressed about breastfeeding. I was stressed about having a kid and responsibility. And he just was chill. He just didn't get worried about things that you don't really need to get worried about. They had a typical first year with their son adjusting to being new parents. But then we lived in that same apartment in Ravenswood for about a year. And right before Jude's first birthday is when Mark's cancer came back. And we found out because he had this kind of bump on his shoulder. And at first we thought it was just like some weird, you know, you get weird things in your body sometimes, like a weird, like nodule or something. But um, he was still getting scans every so often anyways, but we um, scheduled a scan and went in and it was cancer and it was melanoma that had since spread to um, other organs in his body. Staying true to his live in the moment approach, Mark never asked how much time he had. And as a result, he didn't know and was really unable to share a true prognosis. So lots of their friends just assumed he'd battle it again, just like he'd done in the past. So at his first birthday, we had a kegger with our friends and their <laughs> baby, who was also turning one. And uh, so people knew, like they knew that Mark had cancer again and that he would be going through treatments. But it still, you know, like I said, it wasn't something that Mark would ask like how many years or how long. So it wasn't something that people thought was that big of a deal. I also got, um, I had like a, I have like a thyroid nodule or something. And we went to the doctor for that and he came with me and I just remember being very upset about it. And they, the doctor was asking like about why I was upset. And I was like, well, my husband has cancer. And they asked him like, well, are you okay? And he was like, yeah, I'm fine. You know? So in like, that's with him knowing that he had stage four cancer. I honestly don't even know that he knew he had stage four cancer until one time we went into his oncologist's uh, waiting room and we were looking at a sign. It was like, is it in your lymph nodes? Is it here? And he was like, oh, yeah, I think I've got the bad kind. I'm oh like, yeah, you do God. have the bad kind. Oh. And Mark was also he would he would make jokes like about his. oncologist, Dr. Kuzel, he would say, do you think Dr. Kuzel knows anyone that's died? Like, I mean, (laughs) just like to cut the room, you know, it it was like kind of amazing to watch someone go through that without being like openly scared. I mean, he definitely was scared. He he started going to his own therapy and like we started to, I mean, it, it had a lot to do with Jude and like wanting to be there for Jude and, um, Mark also was like, like I said before, he wanted to provide for me and like make me happy. And he always joked with people that Kim wants a house, a dog, a baby, a car, or he was like, depending on which day you ask her. (laughs) And so at that time we had a car because we had to have a car before we got married. Like we were making so many trips. Then we had a baby. Then we had, or then we had a dog. Then we had a baby. 
So at that point, um, when he was sick, it was kind of important for him. And we didn't even really openly talk about this, but we just started looking for houses. And, um, and when we did find our house and moved into our house, I could tell that it was like one of these big reliefs that like he had off his back, like Kim and Jude are care for. Yeah. I can only imagine what a relief that was for Mark. Having finally come to terms with his stage four cancer, I'm guessing somewhere in the back of Mark's mind, he knew he wasn't going to be around for the long haul. To know that he had provided for a long-term home for his wife and child had to be a huge relief to him. After that, it was back to dealing with his cancer, which unfortunately had come back with a vengeance. When the cancer did come back, he had to do really tough chemo stints. Like, I think what, it was two or 10 days of being in the hospital chemo, like day and night where I went and stayed with him at night and then tried to work and take care of Jude and go home and my parents and his parents and shuffling back and forth. And, um, and I mean, he was that it's just, that's really hard to watch someone go through that. It's also hard when they go through that and then you, they, it doesn't work. It started coming back within three days, you know, it just like, just to see how fast and how like all encompassing it was on his body. Like, I mean, it was, it was terrifying. He tried another chemo that didn't work. Um, so he went back on these steroids for as long as they worked. And then ultimately they just stopped working. And we, I think had a couple months before he could start the next treatment and, um, he started it. And I think it was within a couple weeks that he couldn't really continue because it didn't seem to be working. And also he was just so sick that it, it, he couldn't handle, like his body couldn't handle more treatment. So this was now the summer of 2015. And in the Chicago area, block parties are common to enjoy the 36 days, if we're lucky, of nice weather we have around here. But this was probably when their friends realized the magnitude of Mark's cancer, which isn't something Mark ever wanted. We had a block party, I guess, probably right around that time. And we had our friends come over. Mark's brother was here. Mark was in bed for most of it. But I asked him if, you know, everybody wanted to see him. Would he be willing to come downstairs and like at least sit downstairs? And so he did. He was he was really nervous to do it because. He just looked like a different person. Yeah. And he he didn't he didn't want to show people that how bad it got. Um but he came and sat outside and our friends got to say hi and I, I like I I remember little things like going I remember we went out to dinner with my parents one night and like his tumor was so visible and I just, I remember feeling embarrassed by it and I just wish that, you know, and I kind of like covered it up and he was like, what do you want me to do? You know, I just remember like stupid things that I wish I could take back. Yeah. But cause like, who cares if right. someone sees that? Right. So Mark has this very visible tumor, which ended up on one occasion being a source of levity to both of them. Just when you think cancer is all sad all the time, something like this happens. 
um, there was one day that our cleaners were supposed to come and we were both going to work and <laughs> Mark came out of the bathroom, this bathroom downstairs and was like, um, I'm bleeding. And, uh, his tumor had like, just like opened up oh and it was just like spraying blood. Like this sounds <gasps> disgusting, but, um, like we were able to stop it, but we had to drive downtown and like go to the hospital and get them to like stop it from bleeding. But our cleaners came. And so I just closed the door and like put a sign that was like, don't clean this bathroom. Like I will take care of it. And Mark was just making like the funniest jokes on our way downtown. <laughs> like, do you think that they think you murdered me? Like, just, <laughs> like what are they going to say? <laughs> The funny moments would soon take a backseat to Mark's dreaded cancer. Mark still had some fight in him, and he was, in some ways, still in denial. It would take some help from his boss to face reality less than a week before his death. When we went to the hospital for the last time, when we were pulling out of the garage, looking at those lockers, I did say, how do you feel about leaving right now? And he said, not good. I want to come back. And it was kind of this unspoken thing that we kind of knew that he was never going to be able to come back home. Mm. And so he was in the hospital for a while and he kept telling me, I want to be resuscitated. If something goes wrong, make sure that I stay alive. Wow. And that was really hard for me knowing all I knew, which was you are dying. And he still was like kind of in denial. Mm -hmm. And, um, he kept telling me to look for more treatments and trials and like, I mean, I was like his business manager, his, his healthcare manager. I think that's what's so weird about the health system is that like, there's no one that's really managing you except no. for you. Yeah. And if you're yeah. sick, then it's gotta be someone else. Yeah. But, um, if you don't have someone else, you're screwed. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I actually had to get his boss, Drew, um, to convince him to sign a DNR, a do not resuscitate, because I, I couldn't handle, like, they, they kept asking all the time about it, and, um, and Mark really didn't want to do it, and I, I told Drew, I'm like, you need to convince him to do this, because I can't. I can't, I'm not going to be the one to like force him into it, but actually drew like told, he was like, you know, Kim and I have been talking and Kim thinks that this is the best thing. And, and he was like, okay, I'll do it. But the weirdest thing about that was that they put a, something on your wrist then that says that that's what you are. And, um, he would like show everyone that came and visited him in the hospital. He'd be like, do you see my wrist? Do you see my, do you see my bracelet? Like, God, Mark, <laughs> this is pretty close to his death. So like August 20th or no, no, August 15th or 16th, something around that. Mm -hmm. So less than a week before he died. It was great. And I'm so glad that he got to see so many people before he died. But it was a lot for me to handle. Then the time for hospice had come. They gave us the option to stay in hospice downtown or move to home or to move up in Glenview. And we ultimately decided to do Glenview because it was an easier drive for our families. Like 
no traffic to get downtown and, um, and also just more peaceful, you know, it just, and I, I pretty much made that decision because Mark was pretty sick at the time and couldn't really weigh in on what he wanted. And I just, I just knew being downtown wasn't where we needed to be. So we moved up to Glenview. We, uh, took an ambulance and I, I really wanted them to put the sirens on. And Mark said, hell yeah, when I asked him that, but they wouldn't do it they because wouldn't. it was an emergency. Oh, man. I know. Like, well, and you were with him in the ambulance. I was, I was sitting in the front and, uh, I felt bad because I mean, he was so, he was just like a hot person. So like he wanted everything cool and it was so hot in that ambulance. So I knew he was miserable. I'm like, he's going to die in this hot ambulance because it's so hot. It's like hardcore protocol because weren't you like, he's dying. Can't he have the damn sirens? I know. I don't know. I guess, I guess because they weren't going to take him to save him. The ambulance driver was asking me all these questions. Like, he looks pretty young. How young is he? Oh, wow. That's great. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, let's just keep shooting the shit here. Not like he's dying or anything. I'm not really sad about it. Mm -hmm. But we got to hospice. And because, you know, Jude... And I did tell Mark, I was like, Jude's going to turn or Jude's going to turn two in like three weeks. Can you just hang on? Or I guess almost a month. Can you just hang on till his second birthday? And Mark's answer was yes. And then I'll hang on till his third birthday. And then I'll hang on till his fourth birthday. I mean, he just, he was just so hopeful and didn't, just did not want to die. It was a beautiful place. And, um, we had a birthday party for Jude there. Um, it, we had fr- 20 friends come and it, it was, it was hard to cap it out, you know, like you could only extend it to so many people, but I think we missed out on a lot of people that were important to him. We had our families there. We pushed like two beds together so that I could sleep with him at night. Um, Mark, insisted on the room being like 50 degrees and like fans pointing. So I was just like covered in like 16 blankets, <laughs> miserable, and also like not able to sleep, you know, it yeah. just like, oh, it's just so hard. I, and how coherent was he? Um, he was really coherent until, um, after Jude's party, I will say. Kim and others very close to Mark knew the end was near. So people started coming to visit him to say their goodbyes, which is both a blessing and emotionally challenging. On one hand, you want people to come see your loved one when they're dying. On the other hand, you want your person and all of their remaining time on this earth all to yourself. People came in and he he was still making jokes to them like, <laughs> People would come in and he was asking about them like, oh, did you guys see, you know, like he would say like, oh, I'm just been watching the Cubs games or he, you know, like he still had personalized experiences with all of our friends and family that came in the room. They said that, you know, that and that's what happens. Like they have like one final push of energy and that was probably his. Mm -hmm. And then for the next two, two and a half days, um, it was you know, he wasn't coherent. And when he was, he was just in like excruciating pain and like his pain meds weren't working. And, um, you know, usually I think they let the person control the pain meds, but like he couldn't control it anymore. And so 
I would try pushing it as much as possible, but it's just still didn't seem to work. And that final night or day, they finally said that they, you know, basically had to get him on drugs that would cause him to not know that he was in pain anymore. So basically making him, you know, brain dead. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so that happened. And after, after he had those, it was quiet and it was a lot of waiting, waiting for someone to die. Yeah. And who was there those final couple days? Um, Mark's parents were there. My parents were there. My brother, um, his wife, his and Mark's brother Paul, his wife Julia. Um. So everybody was kind of shuffling around. You know, Jude was at home. He was. He actually started like his new daycare across the street. Like, so I mean, Jude Jude would come, but it, it was he was upset every time. And we tried to get Jude to lay on Mark's bed and he, you know, there's like this thing that's laying in a bed that doesn't look anything like the dad that, you know, Mm -hmm. when you're two, like uh, he'd have wanted no part of doing that. The night before Mark died, his brother stayed in the room with us and, um, I called his parents in the morning and said, they, they just told me that they think it's going to happen today. So earlier, you know, get here soon. It was interesting because it was, I was laying in bed with Mark holding his hand. His mom was sitting at the edge of the bed holding his hand and his dad and brother were in the room and then they both just got up and left. I'm not sure why. I was also just feeling his pulse and I just, I could feel that it was getting fainter and like the seconds between every time it Every heartbeat. Every heartbeat started getting fewer and fewer, or I guess longer and longer. And his mom was holding his hand, and I I think I was just, like, so in tune with how long the spaces were getting that, like, I knew it was happening. I don't know that she really was feeling that or knew it, but, or maybe she, I don't know. We've never really talked about it. But, um, so he took his last breath, and... Um, we waited another five minutes and then kind of looked at each other and cried and hugged and, and then called the nurse and they have to come in and, you know, verify and declare. Yeah. And, uh, but I think, I think Mark waited for his brother and dad to leave. Mm. I think that he just wanted his mom and I there that morning when he like had the drugs that kind of made him crazy or brain dead or whatever. He had this final like gasp, like kind of like sat up and was like, and just said, Kimmy. And then just kind of settled back down. And I don't know. I just, I always wonder, did he, did he think I wasn't there or did he, did he like, I just wanted to scream like I'm right here. Mm-hmm. Like, it also just made me feel so special that yeah. he wanted me 
to be there. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't know. That was his last word. Yeah. And I also think, like, am I deserving of that? You know, that's so stupid. But I, like, why, why did I, I don't know. Like, why did he love me? He was so amazing. Like, I don't know. Makes me feel very special. It's beautiful. So that was it. Mark died midday on Friday, August 21st, 2015. It was probably around the time that Bob and I were having lunch together. And I can tell you, we had the most beautiful weather that day. For August, it wasn't too hot and it wasn't humid, which is unusual. And the sky was so clear and blue. I vividly remember Bob and I having what would be our last lunch outside. And that was just as Kim was experiencing her first moments as a widow. So what do you remember about like those first, you know, minutes or hours after? Meanwhile, at another place in like another suburb, like you were starting to go through... Your loss, too. Yeah. Later that day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember driving home and I started started blogging around right at the end of Mark's life, too, just to fill everyone in on things. And I kind of released a last Caring Bridge post saying that Mark had died and you know, I word spread pretty quickly amongst our friends telling others. Um, but I think I was, there was a sense of relief, um, as sad as that sounds, mm-hmm. but the last couple months had been really hard on both of us sure. and watching him go through that amount of pain and also having to not sleep for, you know, I just, I was exhausted and he was exhausted and just, there was this sense of, okay, well now, like now we can both rest, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Kim's parents and Mark's family left soon after his death. And that doesn't sound like a good thing, but for Kim, it was. I need to be alone. I, I've been around so many people for so long that all I want to do is think about what just happened Yeah, and, and be with not, my kid. And be with your kid. And I think there's an element of I, I don't have anything to give to anybody else. So I can't comfort you. Yes. Yeah. And I, I suspect that all of you felt that way. Yes. I am in no position to comfort anybody else. I just need to. Start processing. Yes. Lucky for me that Jude was able to, you know, he didn't know what was going on. And luckily, like there was the daycare across the street and I didn't have to work and I could take him to daycare and know that he was going to be safe and loved and happy and that I could do whatever I needed to do, which I mean, honestly, in those first weeks or months or I, I was, I have no idea. I mean, like, do you think back and like, what did I do? What did I do? I yeah. don't know. I mean, I know I, I, the one thing I know I didn't do was sleep a lot. Like I thought I was going to sleep a lot more, but 
I I think I I walked around stores and I I guess I started working out. That was that's maybe like the best thing that's come from Mark dying is me caring about my health. <laughs> Everything seemed really hard after Mark died. I would drop drop Jude off at 8:30 in the morning and not have to get him till 5:30 p.m. and I remember thinking, well, I have to get printer ink. And just the thought of going to the store and getting printer ink, I was like, well, I'm not sure I have enough time. You know, mm-hmm. it, everything just seemed like so hard mm-hmm. and like I wasn't mm-hmm. up to any sort of challenge. Mm-hmm. Kim was experiencing her early days of grief. And of course, she was falling apart, which she knew would happen. But she never forgets something that Mark told her and his mother. It's okay if you fall apart, but like there's still tomorrow that you have to go through. And Mark did tell both his mom and me before he died, this can't be the thing that breaks you. Like if you, if I die, this can't like, this isn't the end, like get up, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't, I didn't really think anything of it at the time. And I just kind of brushed it off, but I like naturally haven't let it be the thing mm-hmm. that breaks me. I don't I don't want that for Jude and I and I honestly just don't want it for me mm-hmm. or Mark. Mm-hmm. Mark wouldn't, you know, he he wouldn't want me to just fold in on myself and I've tried to I guess remember that. When Kim and Mark started dating, her friends and his friends just meshed together really well and became one big group of friends that was theirs. And since neither Kim's nor Mark's families were local, Those friends stepped up in a big way to plan Mark's celebration of life. Kim, of course, signed off on food, drinks, and slideshows, but their amazing group of friends took care of all the details. We decided to throw somewhat of a party or a memorial in honor of his life. I think we called it Celebration of Life. We had it at a loft um, where we had a bar if you wanted a drink, had some food. And then we had a um, just a projector that had pictures of Mark playing. I mean, looking back, thank God for all of my friends because and Mark's friends. You know, his dad spoke. Um, a few friends spoke. His boss spoke. I think for a lot of people, it was the first person they saw that was young that died and kind of, you know, it's, it catches you off guard. Like I, I think I'm a little bit immune to it because of the network that we're in. Mm -hmm. But, um, looking back, God, it was, it was so sad and so insane to think that that could happen Mm -hmm. and that it was so close to me. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people felt that way. I spoke, I gave some sort of speech that, of course, now looking back, I'm like, oh, that could have been better. It was a good day. Jude ended up puking in the car on the way home. (laughs) (laughs) I then asked Kim how she and their son Jude remember Mark and how they've memorialized him. Keep in mind that Jude was just turning two when Mark died, so he didn't have a lot of memorable experiences with Mark, aside from tickling, trips to the park, and daycare drop-offs. We try to memorialize him like in a way that 
is just honoring that he's still with us in some ways. Um, even if the ways that he's with us is our memories and like us having a part of our hearts still be intertwined with his. Kim and Jude try to go to Lake Forest College to spend a little time at his alma mater, which has a special place just for them, thanks to a beautiful gift that Mark's fraternity brothers dedicated to him about a year and a half after his death. They planted a tree and have a bench like right outside of one of his um, dorms that um, says in honor of Mark Marlborough, a loving son, father, uh, husband, brother, friend. That was like a beautiful ceremony and something that uh, it's like a great place for us to go and, you know, see a part of Mark. I think because he was cremated and we have his ashes, we've I've definitely taken his ashes and spread them in places like mountains. I took the, I took his ashes to Tahoe. Oh, you did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Tell me about win one for Mark. Oh, yes. So um, as we said, Mark was a huge Cubs fan and. I'm not, I don't even know how it came to be, but, uh, we, after Mark died, we just, our friends started saying win one for Mark and we started going to an annual Cubs game where we just ask all of our friends to wear their win one for Mark shirts. And whose idea was it to make the shirt? I think my friend Laura and the first one was right after he died. I'd say like a month after he died, we yeah, did the they first made a run for it. Yes. That year, yes. Mm hmm. Then I asked him to share some things that have helped her with her grieving process. Tell me about some things that helped you progress through your grief journey or that probably are still helping you progress through it. Since it seems to be a never ending journey for us. (laughs) It is definitely a never ending journey. Staying mindful and honestly, which you are obviously doing a really good job of because you have this podcast. We just don't forget about people. That's right. And I have anything to say about it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) I went into grief thinking that Mark just dies and that's the end. And that I was scared because I thought that, you know, then he, then He's erased and all of everything stops. And what I didn't know and what I had to or what I still have to remind myself of is that we continue to grow because we bring them with us and we incorporate them into, you know, it's however we like, really. Like I can I can think, you know, I I think that. I can think he's a hummingbird, and if that makes me feel good, then he's a hummingbird. Right. And it doesn't have to be true, and it doesn't have to be completely accurate, but if it makes me feel better, and if it reminds me of Mark, then it is Mark, because it reminds me of him. Mm -hmm. You know, fitness and making sure that I am the best Kim that I can be has been very helpful to me, like working out and losing weight and focusing on me. I think that for the last year of Mark's life, it was focused on raising Jude and, you know, getting my job done and making sure Mark was okay. And I had little time for putting myself and my health first. Mm -hmm. So 
making sure that I prioritize me above anything else. And that is like even in front of Jude at times, but that allows me then to care for him in the best way possible. I see a therapist. And you said something about a grief group. Yes. We go to a, it's a hospice grief group. My friend Maureen kind of put me in touch with it, a fellow widow. Kim and I are part of the One Fit Widow community, which you've all heard me mention before. This community really focuses on using fitness and nature to process grief. And Kim has really embraced that since Mark died. Right after Mark died, I started doing Orange Theory. Mm -hmm. And um, with the intention of climbing a 14er with Mm -hmm. my dad and brother the next summer, Mm -hmm. we actually did that a couple weeks before the... um, the Lake Tahoe trip. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you did that. You accomplished a 14. I did. Wow. Yes. That's fantastic. It was, it was tough. And actually the last, it was very stormy the last half an hour we were hiking wow. and we, my dad was like, uh, I don't know if we're gonna, but we did it. So something that I've definitely learned since Mark's died that like, you don't have to be good at it, good at something. You just have to try. Mm-hmm. So after the um, one fit widow retreat, uh, I came back and thought I'm going to do a triathlon. So I started, I had to learn how to swim first. Well, I knew how to swim, but I had to actually learn how to swim Yeah, and breathe. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I did personal training to do that, to learn how to swim for about five months and then was able to do, I did a sprint triathlon in the quad cities where I'm from. And then, um, a, the Olympic Chicago Triathlon. Wow. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. That's amazing. You uh, must have felt so accomplished. I did feel very accomplished. And I also thought, God, Mark would, uh, he, he would just, I think that he would be like, who is this person that is, loves working out? And um, yeah, I don't know. That has, I, I think that I forgot in the like final days or months of his life what hobbies could be. You know, there was yeah. just no time for that. Yeah. And so getting back to interests and mm-hmm. doing things that are interesting and fun. Mm-hmm. I've, um, on Mark's death day last year, I went surfing in California. I was there for work. Wow. So I said, I'm going to do a surfing lesson. And the guy said, it's, it's your goal to get up one time. And I got up every time except for once, I think. Oh, so I was better than I thought I would great. be. Yeah. Um, and another, well, I guess two years ago, their second death day mm-hmm. was um, when it was the eclipse. A couple of friends and Jude and I met my dad camping like down south. And we like we went and saw and I was so nervous, too, because it was over, like their clouds were coming and going. We're like, oh, my God, the like there's going to be a cloud over it. We're not going to be able to see it. But we did get to see it. And the the place we were at, it was like my friend's dad's house. And they were having a party. And the nice thing about it was he said when it happens, because I think they were in, it was like a minute and 30 seconds of totality. He said, everybody be quiet because like, let's hear everything around us. And I mean, that moment was just, it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Just I, I'm thinking like, this is Mark, this is Mark, mm-hmm. you know. I then asked him what books have been helpful in her grief journey. I will say... Nora McInerney Permarts. Uh, it's okay to laugh. Crying is okay. Cool too. Um, great, book. great book. I guess it just talks 
more about acceptance in like however you feel like there aren't these stages where you're going to first be mad then you're going to be sad then you're no. going to like it's just basically whatever whatever goes yeah and just get through like try to get up every day yeah i mean what are the rules i don't really know no rules man yeah no rules then we talked a little bit about music that is meaningful to her mark had like the most eclectic uh, music taste. I mean, the Beatles definitely make me think of Mark. Uh, we saw Paul McCartney together. We saw like, um, rain, a tribute to the Beatles together. Like we listened to a ton of John Lennon and Beatles. We both obviously loved Hey Jude. We, our first dance was, uh, Ben Harper. I love Ben Harper. Ben Folds. Yeah. I mean, just like Ben Folds too. Yeah. Oh God. Bob was a big Ben Folds really? fan. Yeah. Then we got into some of the mystical experiences about grief. Have you received any messages or signs from Mark? Yes, but none lately, so I'm kind of pissed. I think that uh, a lot of things could be classified as signs. Um, my lights have definitely, my kitchen lights have turned off and on randomly. Um, they have It happened like, Maybe a few months ago when my mother-in-law was here, we were in the kitchen and the lights just turned off. And I was like, oh, that's Mark. He just said hi. <laughs> she was like, what? I'm like, yeah, they do that sometimes. <laughs> like, not sure if she believes that, but whatever. Right after he died, it was maybe a week later, a, I was outside watering my plants and a hummingbird flew. I, and I had never seen any hummingbirds in our yard. I didn't have hummingbird feeder. A hummingbird just flew right in front of my face and just like buzzed Hover. for a second and then flew off. And for, so that really made me think of Mark right after he died. I guess it was four days later. I went to get a tattoo, this tattoo on my wrist. Yeah. And what is, what is the tattoo? So the tattoo is of the longitude latitude of our apartment and apartment in Ravenswood. And, um, when Mark was sick, I had seen our old landlord um, in a park and the landlord that lived above us at that apartment. And, um, he said, Oh, you guys would really love, uh, the people that moved into your place. Uh, she's a pretty well-known Chicago tattoo artist. And I was like, Oh, I don't really want a tattoo. Maybe I'll get one, blah, blah, blah. And so after he died, I thought, okay, you know what? I'm going to get this tattoo from the girl that lives in our place. So I went to get the tattoo and while in the lobby waiting to get the tattoo, there was a couple sitting across from me and the guy was wearing a wedding ring that like was identical to Mark's oh, wedding ring, which wow. was very interesting because it's, it was wooden. It was like silver with like oh, wood in the middle of it. Wow. And like, we had never seen anyone with a wedding ring like that. So, um, that, that was a little bit of a sign for me. We see, I see dragonflies a lot. I think, uh, they're somewhat Mark. I lost my wallet outside of a Walgreens. Um, and this girl ended up finding it and she tracked me down because, well, she Googled me a bunch, but then I guess, so she returned my wallet. And then afterwards she texted me and said, Hey, when I was looking for you, I noticed that you, um, had a blog and I started reading your blog and it, it was, you know, it really struck me and I, um, you know, I, it really resonated with me. I'm like a, a war vet. And, um, so she like went on to say that she discovered that 
we were big Cubs fans and she has season tickets that are eight rows behind home plate. Wow. So she dropped off tickets for June and I. And so June and I went to the Cubs game. And of course there were like a billion dragonflies. Oh. So that was, that was a sign. And it's, you know, like you were talking about what do we do to memorialize Mark? Like we talk about that sort of thing all the time. I think we were talking about dragonflies yesterday. Like, and of course Jude was like, I saw 11 and you saw 10. Like it's like competition. <laughs> competition. <laughs> like he even remembers how many we saw. So the day after I conducted this interview with Kim, I went to a Cubs game with friends. And as we were waiting in line to get into the park, a big, beautiful dragonfly flew right up to my face and hovered for a good long second. I immediately texted Kim to tell her that Mark let me know he was happy about our conversation. And I think that made her cry at work. Sorry, but obviously not sorry, Kim. Let's hear more about that blog she mentioned. I started doing or blogging on the Caring Bridge site just to keep people updated on Mark's health and how he was doing. After he died, I decided, okay, well, I want to do, I, I want to talk about it more. I, you know, I'm not done with talking about this whole thing, right. <laughs> this whole story. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started a blog called keep widowhood weird. Mm -hmm. I'm not really blogging anymore, but, um, at, I did for about two years where but it's still out there. It's still out there. Read it. Yes. Yeah. Where I basically just talked about what life was like after Mark and stories about Mark. Uh, it was a good outlet for me to, um, I guess, get to know my new self, but also bring him along for the ride. Mm -hmm. Kim's blog has always made me laugh and cry, but mostly her posts made me feel like I knew Mark a little bit. And because he and Bob died on the same day, I wanted to know him more. So I hope you'll search for Keep Widowhood Weird and read some of her posts. Her creative writing is such a beautiful way she's honored Mark. We then switched gears to talk about how dating is going since Mark died. I think it took me about a year to feel like I could enter that game and um, another year to feel like I was okay with doing so. And um, I mean, now I'm I'm fine with dating. I've never felt like Mark would be mad or upset or I, I think Mark would not care. No. <laughs> no, he would be like, you do you girl. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Life's too short. Right. Exactly. I do think there's, there is part of me that thinks that, um, the world or Mark or whatever will put someone in my life when I am at my peak, you know, maybe there's one part of my life that isn't like totally put together. Mm -hmm. Like maybe that needs to be solved before I can meet this person that is ultimately going to come into my life and yeah. be, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm convinced it's not going to happen on an app. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I, I'm pretty convinced of that too. I think it's fine for dating and going out every now and then, but I'm yeah, like, yeah, this is not how I'm going. If I'm, if I'm meant to have a next great love, I don't think that's how it's going to happen. Yeah. And then the interviewer became the interviewee. Do you think that you're meant to have? A next great love? I don't know. That's a tough question. He was pretty much the ultimate in great loves. You know, he really, really was. So uh, there are times when I feel like 
how could I be worthy oh. of another? Oh. Or could it even exist? Yes. I think the answer is yes. And you are definitely worthy. Thank you. Gosh, it's like so interesting hearing you say that because I think that I can say those same things about myself and, but like hearing someone else say it, it's so, well, why would you think that? Don't be so hard on yourself. It's our inner critic, right? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Let me just say for the record, I don't feel that I am unworthy of another great love. There are just times when I feel like it's pretty audacious to pursue, pray for, or expect a second great love in my life, when there are so many people in the world who never find a first great love. I guess for me, if it happens, it would really be like lightning striking twice. And we all know how rare that is. But back to Kim's thoughts on dating. Yeah, I... I there's part of me that thinks, do I, you know, do I want to spend my life with someone? Yes, I do. Um, but like, am I happy now? I am. And like, do I, do I have to have someone, you know, like the, and it depends on the day. Yeah. You know, like, do I need someone? No, I don't think so. But do I want to spend, you know, spend time with another person and love someone again and have them love me. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, but I, I, I've talked a lot in therapy lately about like what it means to me to change my family, like for my family dynamic to change. And it's terrifying to me, yeah. like the way in which we function would completely change. I would have to be different when I woke up in the morning, like I, you know, or, and you wouldn't have to be different, but it's just like someone else is like seeing you for you. And that's really scary to think about when you've already done that. You've already like let your heart go and yeah. let, let someone carry it. And yeah. like to do it again is scary. It's very scary. And um, you and you and Jude, you know, you got your thing going. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Someone's got to find a way to fit into that. Yes. Since we recorded this episode, I am thrilled to report that Kim is in a loving relationship with someone who seems to be a very good fit for both her and Jude. And I could not be happier for all of them. So how do you want Mark to be remembered? I want Mark to be remembered as someone who just didn't judge anyone and who didn't give a shit if others were judging him. He he was just, like I said, a, a you-do-you kind of person, and he cared so much about people, but he didn't let their decisions or what they did impact his life because he knew how he wanted to live his life. He was so funny and smart and caring and just, just a genuinely nice, loving person. Are you still close with his family? I am. Yes. His parents will come up every couple months and we try to go down to Arkansas once or twice a year. Okay. So we, we are definitely very close. Mark, uh, always said that he had everything he wanted in life or he did everything he wanted in life because he got to be a husband and a dad, just like his dad. Mm. And that was, I don't know, that was just always so sweet to me that that was the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
probably simple in some people's eyes, but yes. Yeah. No. Right. Those are big, important things. They are. Yeah, they are. And I don't know. It, it also makes it sound, it seem, you know, what do we want? Like, what do I want in my life? Like, Mine seems a lot more complicated because I don't know what the answer is, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and I, I loved that he actually had an answer and he got to complete it. So, yeah, lived his bucket list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. There was one final request Mark made of Kim. The only thing that he told me, he was like, Jude has to be a Cubs fan. And I mean, that comes pretty naturally since I'm a Cubs fan, yeah. but uh, that's luckily the only. Not luckily, but that's pretty much the only sport Jude really knows right now. So at least he, at least he's got the Cubs. He's got the Cubs. Yeah. yeah. What was that like when they won the World Series? It was so bittersweet. Oh my God. Yes. Like just unreal that it happened, but also like, oh man. I mean, didn't you just think like, where is my person to share where this is with? My person to share this. Yeah. With? Yeah. We would yeah. have been gone wild. I know. So even though Mark was just 33 when he died, he managed to fulfill all of his life's dreams. He became Kim's husband. He became Jude's father. He provided for both of them. And his son, Jude, is definitely a Cubs fan. And every time the Cubs win a game, Kim and Jude can say they won one for Mark. That's the show for today. Until next time, I'm Mandy Faber, and this has been Dedicated to the Dead. Don't forget, you can bring joy and healing to people who are grieving just by asking about their dead loved one and listening to their story. This episode was edited by Stevie Brock. Our fantastic theme music is by the wildly talented Sean Jelinek. Please subscribe to my show, and please give us a great rating and write a review. I also hope you'll follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Bye for now.